Welcome to episode 52 of TechSing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And this week, we have a very special guest with us, Chris McCann, founder of the StartupDigest.com, and by all accounts, entrepreneurial go-to guy in Silicon Valley. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good, good. How are you guys? <laughs> yeah, very good. Hey, so, so Jason, what's the backstory on how we met Chris? Well, you know, I just came across, I think there was an article, uh, a blog post, um, that popped up on Hacker News about Startup Digest. And there's been a few uh, articles that popped up on, on Hacker News about the whole email newsletter um, idea or concept that's been grow- gaining you know, traction lately. Right. And you know, I, so I wanted to talk to Startup Digest because not only are they doing the newsletter uh, thing, but they're also focused on startups and hacker stuff. So that'd be cool to talk to them. Yeah, and they're doing, they're doing awesomely well with 55,000 plus subscribers. Nicely done. So, um, Chris, why don't you give us a little background first on what is Startup Digest exactly and uh, why you started it? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you guys the short story. So uh, I moved here to, to Silicon Valley, to Palo Alto, uh, exactly one year, one month ago. So I graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and literally the day after I walked for graduation, uh, I just I moved up here because uh, I just I wanted to move to Silicon Valley. So when I first came here, I didn't have you know I don't have any family out here. I had, you know a couple friends, not a lot of friends. So I was just going to events just to meet people socially, uh, to kind of get myself plugged in, you know, meet people and make friends and all that good stuff. And I started kind of compiling the best events for myself. Uh, just so I know what to go to for the week because, you know, here in Silicon Valley, you have so many events going on and it's really hard to know, like, you know, what's good and what isn't good unless, like, you've been to them before. So I was just doing this for myself kind of throughout the summer and I was working for this uh, kind of incubator investment fund and in November, some of my friends that worked with me were like, hey, like, you know, I know you do all this work uh, kind of for yourself, but do you mind sending this to me too? So in November, I sent one email to 22 people, and I was like, oh, here's some cool things going on in Silicon Valley. Put them all down on a list, sent it out, uh, and now that's how it started. Uh, and it turns out that that same problem of kind of finding about, out about events was the same problem for a lot of people. And since then, it's just it's grown from that original 22-person uh, subscriber base, and now we have over 55, 56,000 people we're sending newsletters to in, 50, or no, in 45 different cities around the world. So it's grown quite fast. Well, so that's a huge number of subscribers for only a year. And it kind of reminds me of the, how Craigslist got started. It, it, wasn't it sort of like an email list? Yeah, I've gotten that from some people. Um, so I believe, I could be wrong, but Craig started his list just telling people about like kind of concerts and like fun things. And, uh, and, and then, then he started like, people started asking him stuff and then he just put other things in the list. And from there, that's how Craigslist started. Wow. Yeah, so that, so that actually is very similar to what happened to you, and it just took off. Now, okay, so you're doing it for yourself, and it starts growing. So how long did it take before you started to get a sense that this was going to be something more interesting than just you emailing you know, a few hundred people? Yeah, I guess the uh, – so, um, so Startup Digest, now we do it, like I said, in 44, 45 cities. If you go to our main page, you kind of see all of them. But uh, New York City was our second city outside of Silicon Valley. Okay. Um, and the only reason why we did it is uh, one of my good friends, Carter Cleveland, he runs a company called uh, Artsy. They just won the, the TechCrunch Receptor Award over in New York City. But uh, we, we were just friends out here. He was living out here in, in, uh, in Palo Alto as well. 
but he moved back to, to New York City and he knew all about Startup Digest. He's like, I want one of these uh, in New York City. He's like, can I do the issue here? Um, so right, that was right. the point when we kind of came up with, now we call it it's the curator model. So in every city, we have a local entrepreneur or founder themselves, and they're the ones that compile kind of the, the events for their city. So we kind of came up with this model. We ran with it. We did two issues. Uh, and then after that, TechCrunch picked us up, um, wrote about us. And then on there, we had kind of like, a, like an open application for curators. And as soon as after the TechCrunch article was written, we had instantly like 2,000 additional subscribers. And I think like 60 people applied from all over the entire world wanting to do it in their city. That was kind of the point I realized that this is a lot bigger than I originally thought. Um, and like instantly, like you had like another like couple thousand subscribers that was getting this thing. So it just from there, it just started taking off pretty quickly. All right. So now, how how long was the uh, how long after you started the list did you get the write up in the TechCrunch? So we started it in early November, and our TechCrunch article was January eleventh, I think. So that's what like. A little less than two months, or about two months. Wow. And how many emails had you sent out before TechCrunch picked you up? Um, it wasn't a lot. I think we were like up to like a couple hundred or maybe a thousand or something like that. Because like, the startup industry is really small. So if you, get, if you start to get the attention of uh, um, you know, some big people, it starts to, to spread really naturally. And like, especially here in like Silicon Valley, San Francisco, like there's tech events going on all the time. And, you know, even now, like when I go to events, it's like, oh, hey, how'd you hear about this? It's like, oh, started Digest. And I'm not even in the conversation. So it's really cool to hear that people kind of talk about it like that. So you obviously you get to hang out with a lot of guys doing startups and, and you're, you're getting to um, get make some opinions about those different startups and the different ways they, they run the startups. And I was wondering which model you prefer. Do you prefer the funding model or do you prefer the bootstrap model? Hmm, it's actually a good question. Uh, I guess technically we're kind of more bootstrapped. We took a really small angel round. Like it's just more just from one of our my close mentors. So we we didn't really raise money, and I have a lot of friends that kind of raised money. Uh, I guess one big thing um, I won't name the company because he probably doesn't want me to talk about it. But one thing funding does is like when you take a big round, especially from you know well-named people like you know Sequoias, Dave McClure's, Jeff Clavies of the world, it gives you a lot of pressure. Um, to succeed and not just to succeed like kind of for yourself but to succeed 10x their expectations like you need to turn your company you know 10 times bigger you need to go 10 times faster um, and if you know for some reason like a competitor launches or maybe your product's not right or you need to iterate like you just have an incredible incredible amount of pressure under you that like you better perform you just raise all this money um, so you know uh, a lot of my, um, you know, friends that have done it kind of, they always ask me like, you know, hey, like, why are you like, you know, why are you so happy? Like, you know, like, why are you so relaxed sort of thing? And, you know, for us, like, we don't have that like incredible like pressure yet. Like, sure, we're growing. Sure, we have like a good product, but there's not like we don't have a boss sitting above us saying like, hey, we gave you money. You better do this this month. Um, so I guess it's like one thing I've kind of just one thing I've kind of noticed. In terms of your own business, then, given that you're bootstrapping, uh, have you started uh, generating revenue, or what's? Do you have any plans on how you're going to generate revenue? What's your ideas with it regarding that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we do make money, and mostly in two ways. One is that we sell sponsorship in the digest. So we work with a very select number of 
kind of sponsor advertisers that want to get their message and get it impressions to all the email addresses. And then two, we partner with uh, bigger like bigger events and taking affiliate fees of ticket sales. Um, and we're actually launching a new product probably on Monday. Like a, uh, it's going to be like a conference deals page for for mainly big tech conferences because people love it when we include discount codes. You know, if you can save thirty to fifty percent off on a on a conference, you're probably already going to attend. Um, people like that, and then we like it too because we're helping the organizers sell more tickets, and we get an affiliate fee kind of uh, in between. So you've got fifty-five thousand users now. What's what, what's your market? How big can you grow? Do you think? I mean, how many? How, like when you look at that kind of pie in the sky figure, well, how many subscribers would you like to have one day? Hmm, it's another good question. Um, I I believe, and I could be wrong on this as well. I think TechCrunch's they're kind of email list they send out of just kind of their news and stuff like that. I believe it's around 5 million. Um, and then looking at like people like kind of Kaufman, that Kaufman Foundation that deals with entrepreneurs all around the world and all types of entrepreneurs, I think they reach about close to 6, 7 million. So I think there's probably like around a addressable market of maybe 10 million max. Um, and that's just in kind of the entrepreneur kind of founder kind of thing if you take it out to a little more general tech obviously you have kind of a bigger market but just on that kind of uh uh that that small startup side i think that's pretty much the biggest you can get well you know uh it sounds like you have the startup digest but i guess you could have a digest for all kind of different categories i mean it, it seems like lately i've just been noticing that um companies are starting to create and it's actually a conversation uh, Jess and I happened to have yesterday, sort of channels. Like this weekend, which is uh, this weekend startups, which was Jason Calacanis' yep. first mm-hmm. video show. And now I'm, I guess there's a whole bunch of different channels this weekend games or this weekend poker, or whatever. Uh, you know, startup, it could be Startup Digest is just your first one. And then, of course, it's, you know, whatever for anything. Poker yeah, Digest, we, we, Games Digest, anything. We could easily go to different verticals and. We've kind of gone back and forth on like if we do that, how soon soon should we try it, test it out, sort of thing. I think right now, like at kind of the rate we're going, we want to stay pretty focused and pretty core to like kind of our market. And and this is kind of just what we're into. Like you know, like what gets us up in the morning, what makes us excited is like you know, kind of helping startups, being in the startup space, sort of thing. Um, so until like there's a real a need or we have to or you know. You know, for sure, like if we took money or something, like, you know, we'd have to kind of expand quicker in those markets. But at least for now, like, we're just growing at like some sort of sustainable rate in the market that we're in. It's funny, you're going for a pretty similar market to us in a sense. Because, I mean, our, our show, although it's not exclusively focused on people start, you know, startups and bootstraps, but that's kind of a focus, wouldn't you say, Jason? That's been a focus anyway. Which is... Well, I'm not sure what you mean. We're, well, just the, 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 the guys that, that they're, they're looking to get on their mailing list are pretty similar to the listeners that we're looking to get, really. Right, yeah, yeah, tech and startup founders, that sort of nexus of people, I would say, yeah. So it's we, interesting that Chris is helping us out with that research to let us know that we've got an addressable market of 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's big. Yeah, well, I mean, and there's other companies in this space, too, if you want to look at, like, you know, Venture Hacks or Mixer G or Venture Bead or, you know, some of the, even like the international players like this week in Asia. Um, there's like a big like SEA conference going on in, um, um, in Malaysia right now. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of examples of like companies that are playing in this space. 
uh, for-profit and non-profit that are like doing it well. And you know, Hacker News is like a great example too. I mean, it has a a really like strong and committed community to it, and then I I love it for like you know finding out about you know all sorts of stuff. Right. You know it. It. You know we're we're talking about sort of this the. I don't know, the uh, channel or aggregator model. And I just noticed today, I really thought about it, is how Stack Overflow is starting to do that with their, um, they call them Stack Exchange, where they take their same software and they create verticals. But mm-hmm. by starting and focusing on their primary vertical and really getting it strong and really building a good community, and then at that point, you've kind of proved the model, at least within one vertical, then you can go horizontal. And that sounds like probably a great idea for you guys. So you spend a year or two more just solidifying this space, and then you can start thinking of adjacent verticals that aren't too far flung from where you are now. Whereas, so for instance, Stack Overflow started was all about code, and then they came up with Super User and Serverfall. Right, Justin, are those yeah. the first two? And they, yeah. I, I can't remember which is which. Once for like ad administrator uh, type stuff, server administration, and the other ones I, I can't remember. It's but it's it's sort of related to that. And I, I guess that's a good way to jump one vertical next. Is you kind of you don't want to immediately jump into something that has nothing to do with you know uh, code and, and and startups, but uh, something that's sort of close. Yeah, I'll have to. I'm looking at this right now. I have to check them out more. It's. It's like a, t- a tried and tested pattern. I mean, if you think about Yelp, um, the way that they they went to market, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of similar. So their vertical is was a city. So they started in San Francisco and they really focused on building their business in San Francisco. And then they went to the next city, then the next city, and then they scaled kind of horizontally f- from a city point of view. And it's just much easier to take off, to, to focus on one small problem and then expand sideways. Yeah, no, so yeah. Yelp, but Yelp is stuck with restaurants, right? So they haven't really gone vertical in terms of category, just in terms of geography. No, Yelp isn't just restaurants. Yelp is anything. Oh, is it anything? Okay. They started out, was it restaurants? That started, was that what they started with? Or am I wrong about that? I, I'm not sure, actually. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think it was one. San Francisco kind of foodies. If you look at it, they even have like the, the Yelp elite crowd. It's kind of their elite users of you know people. And most of them are foodies. They, they go around and try new restaurants and make reviews and that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, very heavy kind of San Francisco focus, at least their beginnings. Right, and I think I think a lot of stuff come, has that effect where it's they start in San Francisco because that's such an early adopter tech startup culture, so things seem to start there. And plus, it's sort of dense in that it's one small geographic area, um, and so I, I guess you probably will have that a lot of effect. But then you can just you know obviously you proved it. You're, it's a year later, and you already and how many forty cities is that we said or, or more? Yeah, I think 44, 45, I kind of lose track. <laughs> now, do, you, do you have any specific process for going to a new city, or is it just you wait until someone contacts you and says, hey, I live in XYZ city and I'd like to be a curator? Surprisingly, it's been all people that contact us. Um, we actually have a pretty high um, uh, bar for people that want to be curators in their cities. So they either have to be um, a founder of a tech startup themselves, they have to be investing in startups or they have to be cashed out of their startup. Uh, right. So somewhere on kind of the entrepreneur uh, kind of ecosystem, we don't allow like service providers or marketing people or any of that be a curator. Not because we don't like them, but we just want to make sure it kind of stays true to the audience that we're trying to reach in each of those cities. Um, so uh, it, it's really manual. People apply through a form. I kind of get on a phone call with them, kind of find out more about what they're doing. Uh, and if they think they're doing cool stuff and if they're excited about it, then, then we just 
make it happen. It's uh, it's a pretty simple process that we made. Did you did you come up with that bar on your own? I mean, okay, so you start this thing out, and your buddy wants to start in New York, and then at what point did you go? Okay, we want to experience other cities. These are the kind of people I want, or or was it the kind of thing that? You know, you got a few people contacting. You could tell they weren't really entrepreneurs or that invested, and you just like, oh, that's this is this person is not going to work. We gotta, we gotta do something else. Honestly, it was the uh, it was Carter, the first the first curator in New York City. Um, he's he's one of my good friends. He's really kind of uh, idealistic on especially on the events and the people associated and stuff like that. And he actually helped kind of develop this this curator model that we use now and all these. Uh, um, requirements and stuff like that. It completely wasn't like that refined, like when we first did it. But you know, he was the first curator and kind of made kind of this model up. And we just had like a little on our, our really crappy website a long time ago. We had a real a, a thing like apply to be a curator, and it was just a page and it showed the other ones. And it's like, hey, if you want to do a startup digest in your city, fill out this form here. And it was just a woofoo form, um, and people did it. That's what you call emergent design. It just it just kind of designs as the whole thing happens <laughs> self-designing well you, yeah. you know it, 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 justin i mean he really followed two of the of the rules or methodology we talk about which is sort of scratch your own itch so he solved a problem that he had he wasn't and release really, early and release often is that release early say? release often right, right? <laughs> but it was also the minimum viable product right oh He's yeah like, of course What's the simplest possible thing other than emailing some people? Just a, <laughs> a, a, just a, a form. crappy website with a woofoo form, and you know, <laughs> you do it in 15 minutes. So it's like all the rules that you look at, the, the sort of heuristics or, or guidelines for how to, you know, create something that people are going to want that's not going to be a big waste of money or time is uh, scratch your own itch and get it up early and uh, make it as simple as possible. And uh, it's uh, working. And he's also sort of leveraging the sort of the viral effect naturally right i mean email is viral and uh, people events are essentially viral right you 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 get all these people you it's just i mean obviously it's it's growing dramatically right yeah i mean to talking about the the email the viral thing one of the questions that i had um is that what's the technology behind how you distribute the emails and how how the whole thing works like is have you got a custom solution or do you use a third party provider uh third party so we use mailchimp um to send out all of our emails and manage i hear a lot of good things about mailchimp and you uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're really good. Um, we originally started with uh, Constant Contact. Uh, I hated them. Right, yeah. Uh, just, uh, I had a lot of issues with them. And then we moved to a Campaign Monitor. They're okay. I just didn't, I didn't like their pricing schema. And then MailChimp was just a it's flat fee based on how many uh, members you have on your list. And you can send as many emails as you want per month. Okay, so explain that a little bit between, okay, Constant Contact, Campaign Monitor, MailChimp. Could you just give us a brief overview of the differences between the services and what, what your issues were? That, that's kind yeah, of- um, uh, so let's see. So Constant Contact was the first one I used. It's probably the most well-known, longest-running. I don't know if it, I think it is the biggest email kind of solution person out there, um, especially for the, – the reason why we didn't stick with them is especially for um, kind of creating newsletters, the – um, the dashboard of the editor, all like the WYSIWYG stuff, it's just, it's, it's really heavy. Uh, and it's really kind of painstaking to kind of get everything and lay it out. Um, it just, it wasn't really easy. So from there we tried uh, Campaign Monitor, which is pretty similar to MailChimp. Uh, I don't know the exact kind of feature breakdown between the two. But our big problem with Campaign Monitor is they charge on a um, per sender per email basis. So if you sent out 
one email to 4,000 people, they would charge you like per person you sent it to. So okay. for the since we were sending out once a week, the volume of email ended up being more expensive than MailChimp's kind of flat rate. So MailChimp just charged, if you have an email list of 5,000 people, they charge you based on a tier of how many people you have. And it didn't matter how many emails you sent out. Um, and then so if, you're, if you were sending an email out, you know, once a month, then then Campaign Monitor would have worked for you, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, okay. We're we're just doing it more recurring. But one, the right. one thing that I'd say to our listeners about Mailchimp is, if you if you're creating a website and you are interested in seeing an example of great user journeys in a very complicated product, have a look at Mailchimp because yeah. they, they handhold you every step of the way and they take you through this process that is, to be honest, it's a difficult process managing emailing lists and all that stuff but the way they do it the, the placement of the videos the whole thing hangs together extremely well yeah and then also mailchimp just launched their uh uh their new version which they actually put in a lot of the the changes we, we requested which is kind of cool they're oh, starting nice. to dip more in the the social space so they're starting to pull all of your kind of uh, social demographic data into it. They're integrating like the like button. They're doing a new editor for us, which we uh, we hated their whole old editor. Um, they're doing like auto save, which wasn't even like standard in like the it's standard in the blog world, but completely not standard in the email world. Um, but uh, yeah, if you guys are like interested in email or anything like that, check out all the new stuff Mailchimp just launched. It's actually pretty cool. And pretty Mailchimp, exciting. kind of the story and and the way that they describe themselves, they they seem like our kind of people as well. You know, like yeah. they're, they're startup people as well, and they you know they <laughs> you know that they're just a bunch of guys like us making a mail system, and that's kind of cool yeah, too. They're funny. You know, the little chimp, they do all these like funny little videos. They're like. <laughs> They'll change the login screen and like you know they're like they're pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't um didn't Zed Shaw create something called was it Liberalist or Liberalist or something which is like a, a like an open source um I don't know a, a mail list um, software. Have you heard of? Oh, I haven't heard, heard of that. that? Do you know no, who Zed Shaw is? Do you guys know who Zed Shaw is? I do know who Zed Shaw is, but I don't know, right. I don't know about that stuff. So he's he's well known for some of his big rants. He's he seems to get in fights on the web a lot, and he he wrote the Mongrel web server, which is I guess the primary server that's used for Rails apps. And I'm not a Rails guy, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's a story. And um, so he's sort of a well known coder, and you'll see his rants show up every once in a while on Hacker News, and he. I think it's called Liberalist or Liberalist. I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. And that's exactly what it is. Like, I guess you can install it and it does, it sort of handles that large scale um, mail list stuff. But, um, I want to start right now. Again, it's you, a little, it's really hard to use. The UI is terrible on this. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, it, this is it. I, this might not be it, but it seems like it is. Oh, don't send Jason a link because Jason can't do two things at one time. He can't talk no, can't. and okay. look at the web. He like he he literally his brain melts when he when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't send you the link. <laughs> hey, so um, you you uh started an incubator program in Cal Poly. I was wondering if you could yes. us, tell us a little bit about that. Um. So yeah. So I went to uh, the school called Cal Poly. It's a little small school on the central coast of California. Um. Pretty uh. Pretty engineering focused. Um, it's kind of out of the way. It's right in the middle of, uh, completely in the middle of LA and San Francisco, kind of on the Central Coast, really small town. And uh, there's a lot of awesome, awesome stuff that comes out of out of Cal Poly. Like every year, it's it's a very kind of uh, 
hands-on school. So every year, every single senior actually has to do a senior project and they actually have to make something, not just a report. They either have to make a program, you know, make an actual, um, you know, physical product, like, you know, make it, like do something. Uh, so every year there's 4,000 quote, quote, products that are made at Cal Poly every single year. And over the last 30 years, zero of them have been commercialized. Absolutely zero. For a lot of reasons, because because of its IP policy, because Cal Poly students are known to take jobs, uh, on and on and on, for a lot of reasons. So there is this organization called Innovation Quest, which I helped uh, uh, run at Cal Poly, and it's kind of like an engineering kind of challenge competition, uh, and it was all started by ex kind of alum Cal, uh, uh, Cal Poly alums that were all really successful. One of the guys was really early in Cisco. One of them started NetApp. One of them started Brocade. Um, on and on and on. And the whole point of it was to give back to Cal Poly in a way that encouraged students to even just think about the entrepreneurial path and think about what it meant to be a startup. Um, the whole program was great, but and there was you know thirty thousand dollars in prizes, and but it was more of an education exercise. And at the end of the the school year, um, all the students still got jobs. They left. Um, that's because you know when you graduate, you know you need money. You gotta you gotta survive. So like they didn't take their project on. They just went and got a job. So this thing I started was an, an incubator with them to take some of the companies that they gave away prize money to and to actually like put them through a summer program, almost kind of like a Y Combinator sort of thing, to get them seriously considering about taking this thing to market. Um, so I started that uh, so last year, and it's going on this year again. So this is the second year it's happening. Um, out of the, I think there were six companies last year, Three of them got some sort of financing. One's not continuing, and one is just uh, one is just bootstrapped by themselves. Um, but it, it's still a small program, and it's still kind of just beginning. Um, but it's just kind of trying to change the mindset of Cal Poly just a little bit. That's a good. That's a good okay. record. That's that's really cool. But let me show. Uh, are these companies are they relocating to the Bay Area? Yeah, most of them move out of out of San Luis Obispo because. You know, San Luis was a very uh, 30,000 people is the whole entire county. So there's not a lot of opportunity right. once you're out of college. So most of them move. The whole point of it is not to kind of keep people there, um, but it's just to, to help them kind of get off their feet. So do you just, do you contact, you, you contact, or you've been in contact with the people who run the program there, and once they have these, once they go through this contest and the winners, you get communication with those groups of kids and say, hey, why don't you move up the Bay Area and we'll we'll put you through this incubator program? Is that how the whole thing works or what's the process? Yeah, so the 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 Innovation Quest board, which runs the contest, they pick the people that they want in their summer program. Uh, and then mm-hmm. they put on I'm kind of hands off after that. They they put on like the the program and it's usually um, all of those alumni come back and they teach kind of a workshop and they do little social things. Uh, and then it just it's a little bit kind of structured summer program, kind of like a like a white combinator would be. Um, and then after that, the whole point of it's just to get them to to not get a job over the summer, can seriously consider their project and take it further and see where it can go. You mentioned Cal Poly's IP policy as if yeah. as if it was some ugly beast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> um, I used to work at the IP office, which is probably why I know some of this stuff. Um, so it before I think it was 2000, and you probably can't quote me on any of this, but before 2006, I believe it was the policy was that anything that was made from Cal Poly 
using any of its facilities was 100% owned by Cowboy. Um, wow. And they, they actually had a whole um, they had a whole patent portfolio and a patent office. And like my job was to go in there and look at these and try and you know, think about marketing it. But when you take away that incentive of you know actually starting a company around it, you had you know these professors making these you know patents and it just gets shoved away in a in a box and it never comes out again. There's no incentive to take that to market. There's no incentive to make a company outside of that because why would you? The, the school owns all of that. So what uh, happened with, uh, I mean, does does Google fall under that in any way or that it's that their university has a different IP policy? Yeah, St- Stanford's a private institution, so I'm sure their uh, their IP policies are a little different. Uh, and then they actually encouraged their, their prof- like Google, their professor actually took, gave them a little bit of angel money to continue it. So they're a lot more loose with this sort of stuff because they understand that you know, I think Google actually gifted Cal Poly, or Eric, I mean, sorry, gifted Stanford, I think gave away some shares to Stanford, which ended up turning to be a huge amount of money. So they understand that if you kind of give it away, give them the incentive that a portion of it will eventually come back either in donations or in actual equity. That's incredible. I can't believe that, that whole, the, that whole segment there. That, you know, it reminds me, Justin, of uh, Bill Gross and Idea Lab. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I remember reading an article by Bill Gross. I think it was like in the Harvard Business uh, Review, or um, and this is like, I don't know, probably ten years ago, and back when Idea Lab was a really big deal. And Idea Lab, in case anyone listening is unfamiliar, they were sort of one of the first big incubators in the uh, web space, and they were really big in in the late '90s. They did things like City Search, and um, w- I think it was called GoTo or uh, .com, which became Overture, which was then bought by Google, and Cooking.com, and I mean a million a million of these little. But the the thing that Bill Gross is really remembered remembered for is for essentially inventing AdSense. Right, which is what oh, through Overture, which is right. right I mean, that right. was Overture. So people think, oh, Google was the one that they thought of it. No, Google didn't think of it. I mean, it was it was thought of by Bill Gross. And basically, the, the the key points that he thought of was that people would be bidding for the ads, trying to. Is that what's called the perfect market or something? Is that is that what is going on? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's I I, I don't. The, oh oh, so right. So the the whole bidding, the equilibrium. So yeah. for instance, it's like, what do we price ads at? And yeah. you create a marketplace, and marketplaces will reach an equilibrium and maximize the value of something. Um, because if you charge too much, then you you may just be just a little bit too high priced. You're not getting any revenue, or you price too little, and you're leaving too much money on the table. If you create a market, you can reach an equilibrium that'll that'll hopefully or hmm. that should maximize the. Um, the revenue, but the reason I bring it up is that in this particular article I read um, in this interview with Bill Gross, he talked about how he had one of his startups because he's one of these kind of serial entrepreneurs at the time, and he, I think he had something that was like something like uh, I don't know, like Electronic Adventures or something. It was some sort of multimedia educational game company, and they, in the process of developing their product, they had something that they wanted to spin off. And uh, and make a separate company, and the uh, you know the investors, the other co-founders or owners of the company were like, well, we'll retain like seventy percent of it or eighty percent of it. We'll give the twenty percent to these people who will work for it. And I can't remember if they decided that didn't work in that instance, and they changed it, or they decided for the second time they wanted to spend something off, but they realized that that didn't work, and they said, let's take a minority stake ownership. Let's give the majority. You know the the a significant majority to the people, the founders, the people who are actually going to run the company, and that will be a better model 
for everyone because they have the incentive to really stay with this thing and make it work. And it's better that we have a smaller piece of something that really works than have yeah. than than force. You know, our ownership of something that just stays small, and, and because eventually, if, if if the founders are working their butts off and they only own in aggregate, you know, ten or twenty percent, they might have somebody say, "Ah, screw it," you know, I'm just going to find another job and not not work so hard. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you got you got to feel ownership over your company or even your project or whatever you do. Like, you have to feel like you know you're in some control. Like, if there's some sort of overlord like ip owner big like kind of corporate you know person who really controls it and you don't have a say in it then you know obviously you're not going to be incentivized to do it you know and it reminds me of a piece of advice my dad gave me uh, a long time ago when i think i was just starting my first company and he said you know if a deal is too good for one party it's usually a bad deal if one person in the party is too happy, what's going to be happening is the other person is going to realize at some point that they got a crappy deal, and they're going to want to just drop out of the deal or or or, or underperform or whatever. So mm-hmm. you, you you and sometimes you'll see in situations where investors get really aggressive and they want to, you know, have all of these special terms and have all of these provisions that they can retain this control and 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 then they feel really safe that they're not going to get screwed. But what ends up happening is the founders, after a while, after they start getting you know tired and exhausted by the process and they start asking themselves the tough questions whether they want to keep pushing on this thing and they have a rethink about these provisions and it's like you know what this just sucks i'm out right and then the investors screwed you know they lose everything because the founders just walk away and they got nothing and vice versa you know if the if if the founders you know could do the same thing they they get they you know, argue too strong of a position, and later on, the investors feel like they kind of got screwed, and the investors not going to put any more money in or help them raise any more money. So, mm-hmm. it, it seems to behoove, you know, people who are getting partnerships, be, you know, they're not to to not be overly aggressive when they're negotiating a deal because it's not a one-off deal. It's not like you're going to buy a car, and and you're negotiating with the salesman. And you're like, look, if you can negotiate a great deal, then great. It's not like you're you know going to see the guy next week. It's just kind of mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. It's similar but, when you're looking for for people to work for you and the, the options that you're giving them or when you're looking for a co-founder and you've, you know, even if you've done a bulk of the work, you're bringing a co-founder in. If you bring them in for like five or 10%, that ultimately isn't the correct percentage at that stage. It needs to be more like 30, 35. Exactly. Yeah. You, you really, you really want the other, the other people involved to feel they got skin in the game, that they feel they got a really fair deal and yeah. that they're going to stick with it. Cause if you don't people, it's a partnership and people, they don't feel like a fair, they're out. You say it's a partnership, right? But at the same time, people will, let, let's, let's take that founding example, right? If someone comes on board, you wouldn't probably want to bring them in at 50-50 if you'd done a year's worth of legwork. And they, they wouldn't want that either because they'd kind of want you to be the, the leader. Like people do want someone in control. Should, you, you know what I'm saying? Well, it uh, you know it probably depends on the people involved. You know, right. probably people come in and want to own it. <laughs> I think they're the, I think they're such a big deal. They want to own. They think they should own half or more. But I remember my first company. Um, you know, we brought in a guy. So my partner Phil and I, we had worked on this thing for three three and a half years. We developed the product and we were starting to um, you know get our first customers um, going for sales. And we 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 thought you know it'd be great to bring in like a business guy who could really focus in on the business development. And the sales. And this guy was getting his MBA in Chicago and he thought he was a real big shot and he was talking about how he was going to do this and that and you know take us public and all this kind of stuff. This is all late, you know, 98, so this is when everyone thought everything 
think was going to go public, right? And, <laughs> you know, and he was really upset about not, he thought that he should have equal ownership to us. He's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be a minor. I want to be like with you guys. And we're like, dude, we've been working on this thing for three and a half years. What are you talking about? And yeah. he really, you know, was really upset about it. He really thought and felt in his heart that he should be on the same level as us, you know, hmm. even, and, and it took, I mean, we ended up giving him probably a lot more than we should have. Um, we didn't make him equal because that would have been ridiculous. But in the end, you know, as the story runs, the guy turned out to be a total lemon and we had to fire him like two months later anyway. But <laughs> so, you know, there are definitely people want to come in and feel like they, they own. Hey, Chris, back to um, Startup <laughs> Start Digest. We've, we've slightly gone on a tangent there. <laughs> um, back to Startup Digest. Um, so in terms of, <clears throat> like, are you the co-founder? Are you the sole founder? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I'm a co-founder. So I have uh, my co-founder is Brendan McManus. Um, and then we have one guy who helps out with partnerships. But yeah, it's, it's all not me. I couldn't do all this by myself. <laughs> no, so who, is this a guy that, you know, that you... Early, early on wanted to you know said hey let's start this off or did you bring him in later on or how did that work out um <laughs> he likes telling the story of uh this morning than i do so we, we've actually known each other for i think like three four years he was working at a previous startup called the updown um out of the out of the boston area and i was an early user of it so we met just because you know he was the kind of customer service person and i was the one using their product and you know, we just talked online kind of all the time. Uh, we both independently moved to, to Silicon Valley at the same time. He, he originally took a job with uh, uh, Wildfire Interactive. Um, so they're big kind of Facebook contest programs. And then uh, I was still working at the in, uh, investment fund incubator. And as soon as we uh, kind of you know moved in together, we, we both live in the same place. So. Uh, as soon as we moved in together, what I love about him is like the first thing is like, all right, well, let's start something. What are we going to work on? Like we had absolutely <laughs> no idea what the hell we we're going to do. We're like, all right, we're going to work on something. So we ended up just trying like eight or nine random ideas. Like most of it ended up failing. Um, and this was just Startup Digest at the time was just some sort of side project I was doing. And as soon as I was taking, it was kind of taking off. There was almost no question that both of us were going to do it together. Okay, wait, wait a minute now. Where was the timing for this? So you guys are playing around with ideas. You start, you send out your first email list in November, and it and TechCrunch picks it up in January, and it and it starts to explode at that point. Where were you guys? When did you guys start working on stuff together? Yeah, so we got this place in July, I think. Okay. July, yeah, um, yeah. So we were working in July for like three, four months before this um, on a bunch of random ideas. <laughs> And what were some of these ideas that, that flamed out? Oh, no. And why do you think they flamed this. out? Well, this is great. These are great questions, right? Because you know, the, one thing I think it really is, is a problem is you only hear – it's like survivor bias, right? You only hear about the stuff yeah. that worked for the most part. And, and it seems like you know, all you got to do is just go and start something and work on it without realizing that you're going to have to fail a lot. And, it's just, and sometimes it's not just iterating on the same thing. Sometimes it's just throwing it out the door and starting on something new. And, you know, you hear that a lot. Like the guys who started Flickr, you know, they iterated. It was like the never-ending game and stuff like that. And, and Mebo, you, they, they, they were doing the same thing. They would get together for like a year or two years or something trying different things until they hit upon, you know, their, their IM client, web well, IM client. Twitter came from Odeo. Yeah, well, Twitter, well Twitter, Twitter was a side project while they were at Odeo, but it wasn't like – I'm just thinking of the specific examples where you have a few people, two or three or more people who want to do something together, and they get together, and they're enthusiastic and smart, and, but they try 
one, two, three or more things that all just turn out to be stupid or a waste I, of time. I definitely think that the people are more important than the idea. Like, mm-hmm. because, a, because mm-hmm. a good team can be created and can execute anything, really. Yeah. So, so with that said, Justin, let's yeah. hear about some of these flameouts so that people who are now currently trying things and they're realizing that something they're trying is not going to work, that they don't have to feel bad and go, okay, I guess I just don't have what it takes. Hold on, hold on. We need a drum roll. Chris yeah. McCann, Chris McCann, <laughs> tell us how the you failed. Out. I want like a montage. Let's do like oh, a no. out montage. <laughs> you guys need like a cool sound effect in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Justin, you um, the audio guy. Let's get us a... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, one of the things we were doing is we were doing this kind of uh, Twitter job board thing. So okay. we were pulling in job feeds through RSS and putting out the Twitter and kind of putting them together. Um, the thing drove a lot of traffic, but uh, I could go into a lot of reasons why it didn't work. And then um, it kind of shifted. We were like, kind of took that concept and we were like trying to apply it to the enterprise market. So allowing people to like screen for jobs easier using kind of social data. And then we found out that like the enterprise really wasn't our market. So we were doing, um, uh, we, we made this like quick little product, this kind of Craigslist recruiting screening tool but only for uh, uh for bartenders <laughs> uh, <laughs> now that's vertical because <laughs> uh um a funny problem but the um all the bars we talked to in san francisco they they continuously posted about 500 to a thousand dollars worth of craigslist ad postings every month they bake that into the cost of their business and every day most of the owners would sit down for like two three hours and they just do schedule every interview for 10 minutes and just have random people come in and all they're looking for when people came in is are you hot or are you not the people that were good looking they put them in one pile and the people that weren't good looking they put them in another pile it's probably completely not legal but that's the exact process that they go through so we were thinking, if you just pulled in all the social data, like the Facebook and Twitter data, and you got to see these people before, would that save you time, and would you pay for that? And all of them were like, yeah, that would save us an incredible amount of time. <laughs> so what um, happened? Uh, we we made it um, kind of through, uh, through, we made this thing through Craigslist. We tried it out with one bar, uh, and ended up pulling like the wrong data for some some of the people. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, because people aren't exactly honest with the profile photos that they upload to Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> but I have a question. I have a question. You know, Chris, you said that you know you're like I wonder if it's legal, but you know you always hear about these non-discriminatory policies, and you see them posted in like apartment buildings and stuff about like you know you we don't discriminate against race, sex, age, you know, religion. But it doesn't say anything about being about ugliness, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, there is like, can you discriminate based on ugliness? I don't even, know. <laughs> because who would admit to being, well, they discriminate against me, I'm ugly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody thinks they're above average anyway. So, anyway, yeah. so go on. I'm, so sure go that's on. Just not, I'm, I'm sure that's not standard hiring practices. But, right. um, uh, yeah, so like, like that and a whole, like a bunch of other things. Like, we were just, like, both of us had full time jobs. So, you know, we got off of work at like six, seven. We'd work from eight o'clock to one o'clock in the morning, just trying a lot of these things out. Um, and yes, um, startup. I just, I, I didn't even really look at it as a as a company. It was more like something I was already doing anyway. Um, and when we emailed it out, when it started growing, that's when uh, we started putting attention to it. And, and actually, funny story. In the beginning, when we were doing the we call it the SF Bay Area Startup and Entrepreneur List. It's the longest name ever. Um, we actually um, launched also the SF Party List at the same time. And we were thinking, hey, couldn't you do the same things like 
for parties and nightclubs and that sort of thing. Um, turns out like that wasn't really our scene and I didn't really know of like the coolest parties going on around here that well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> probably yeah, I guess I can all, see like, that the tech people aren't necessarily the same people as the party promoters and the, uh, you know, the clubs that have the secret door you have to know to get in and stuff. Right. And, yeah, and there's already so many people in that space and they're very good at it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we just, you know, for that, that list really didn't grow, but this, the, the startup one did. And yeah, we just started putting more time towards it. And then um, for both of us, our, our goal for doing this full time is we wanted to sell at least one ad in the digest. Um, and we just emailed like a whole bunch of our friends and people that were on the list and say, hey, like we're doing this ad. Does anybody want it? And Ended up, uh, this guy named Charles Hudson wanted to promote his conference, the Social Gaming Summit. Took uh -huh. a complete chance on us, gave us $1,000 to put uh, a sponsored uh, kind of featured event on top for him. Uh, and we did it, and that day, both of us quit our jobs. <laughs> wow. No, so, okay, so you, okay, a couple questions I have, Justin. Okay, <laughs> so you guys had jobs before this? Because you said before you were working night and day. Yeah, um, we did. So you had jobs as well, or you were working before yes, and after? Yes, we, we had jobs. Okay, were you working at a startup, or were you just uh, working for a regular company? So I was just working at this place called Plug and Play. It's kind of on the investment side, so it's kind of an incubator out here in the Bay Area. And then Brendan was working at Wildfire Interactive. Okay. And which is a startup. Did you have savings? Um, no. <laughs> so, so, so you quit your job after making a thousand buck. How did you know that new money was going to come in? Uh, we had no idea. <laughs> well, how, but that's how the entrepreneurial you, spirit, you know, caution gee, away, that really, right? Seriously, that is. Everyone everyone should take a lesson from that. I mean, that is uh, like, that's riding the bull right there. Well, you know yeah, what, I, I, also, think, I think we had like, you know, we didn't have a lot of savings, but I think we had, both of us had two months of rent saved up, and we figured we could like eat real cheap. And neither of us spend a lot, even now, we don't spend a lot of money. Um, so we just, you know, both of us were kind of passionate about this. We wanted to see where it was going to go. Um, worst case is we, we, it just, the company fell and we got new jobs. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. Could you do us. that, Jason, with your, with your three kids and your wife? No, no, exactly. See, that's the thing. I mean, when you're in your early, mid-20s, you don't have a wife or kids or a house or anything, and you're especially living in San Francisco, you probably don't even own a car, right? Uh, I do. Um, Brendan do does So we, okay. we share one. <laughs> you don't even necessarily have to have a car, right? You can just walk. Yeah. So you can live yeah. really cheap. And especially when you're that young, worst comes to worst, you can go sleep on your buddy's couch for a couple months. And even it really gets bad, you call home and mom and dad say, hey, mom, I need to borrow a couple thousand dollars, exactly. right? Exactly. So <laughs> it's not like, I mean, you know, it's, it's not like uh, they have the same kind of risk that we do. So it's a good time to really try that random stuff. But still, it takes some guts. And it's really, that's probably why you succeeded is you just committed to it, right? Yeah, yeah, and like I didn't, I didn't even tell my parents I quit my job uh, until like a month or two later. <laughs> they were pissed. <laughs> That's probably a good plan. <laughs> I think you like should. That. I think you should write a, a, a blog post about committing, about really committing to your to your business and your startup. And yeah, that's a, that's a good news. Idea, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, okay, so you got your first sale for you've sold your first ad for a thousand dollars. You guys are psyched. So, what happens the next couple weeks in terms, or next month, or whatever, in terms of uh, selling ads? Did you get any more right away, and how'd you go about it? <laughs> yeah, we had the the complete kind of uh, optimistic founder uh, um, belief to us. We're like, oh, hey, if we can sell ads this easily, we're just gonna grow the audience, and we'll be like millionaires in like six months. And right. it turns out that. Turns out it wasn't that easy. <laughs> um, right. Like 
Charles, the the guy who bought our ad, took a, he actually took a big kind of chance and risk risk, risk with us, uh, and he ended up actually selling tickets for the event, and so it actually ended up working for him. But uh, um, we just started begging friends, cold calling people, and trying to get anything we could. We ended up selling like kind of uh, like I think two, three ads that kind of held us over for a while, and then that's when we took our first. Uh, um, chunk of quote angel money from uh, from a mentor of mine. We took twenty five thousand dollars, and we thought it would last us like six months, something like that. So it kind of gave us a little bit of cushion. Well, the whole focus was then just just growing the list as big as we could. That's that's really cool. So now, how long was it before you got sort of uh, the real full angel investment? So that was, I think it's at the end of January. It was when all the excitement of TechCrunch and stuff were still there. Now, did you go? Uh, did you put together a present, real full-fledged business presentation or plan, or was it the kind of thing where you went to lunch with a guy a couple of times and he's like, "Yeah, on sounds the back good. of a napkin." Yeah, yeah, it, totally the latter. Um, so Car- Carson Chen, he's the guy who we took money from. He was part of Innovation Quest, so I, I worked with him. I knew him for for a while, and uh, uh, I was telling him about it and telling him that you know we both quit and we we're looking just to raise like a little bit of money to keep us over for a while. And he's like, just send me one page and, you know, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So we wrote up like our first like executive summary. He actually still has a copy of it. It looks terrible. <laughs> um, but we just had copy with him. You know, we gave him the executive summary, told him what we were doing. And he's like, you know, like this thing probably won't succeed. But he's like, I really like you guys and you guys will like make something good. So like here's $25,000. <laughs> That's great. And, and, yes, and uh, did you hear all that? Did, did you hear all that? I I missed all of that. Were you, bit, did you were able to get that? I was able to get it. Um, it did cut out a little bit at the end. Could you just refresh, just so I know what you said? You, you wrote up what? Uh, uh, what did you write up for him? Like a one-page executive summary and some pictures and a little bit of text. <laughs> that sounds like enough anyway for most business plans. I mean, you know, who knows? It's all just a big guess anyway. So yeah, especially like when you're, you know, when you're so early, you re- like, you know, we really had no idea, you know, where we were going to go, where are we going to take this, like where it eventually go, how the hell we're going to, you, you don't know, like all these questions are so unanswered. So it's really hard to come up with a 30 page business plan on something that can change tomorrow. Uh, were you right about your burn rate? No. Did, did the 25 grand last six months? Um, it didn't only because we made additional revenue off the top of that. We thought that at basically no um, no revenues, this 25K would last six months and of not being, you know, you spend more money than you think, you have more cost than you can imagine. Um, so we weren't completely right on that, except we did start making um, ad revenue a little bit faster than we thought. So did you under budget or over budget? Uh, more like we really didn't have a budget. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to go over under when you don't even have one, Justin. That's, off. That's one way to surefire you don't go over budget, it's just don't make one. I think okay. I'm gonna, I like that plan. Well, he- it, was just, it, it was me and my co-founder. So a lot of this stuff, and you know, it's you know, looking back at it, like we're like, oh my god, like what do we do? But you know, it's it's so informal. And it was just like you know, it's it's me and Brendan. We both live together. We both work together. It's you know, we kind of just like threw it all together last minute without much kind of real thought to it. Well, you know, I, see, that's the thing is, Justin, I I kind of believe that uh, most, you know, a lot of times it, it, when there's something, it's this requires this little little actual capital and it's sort of an emergent product it it's, might be just a waste of time to spend too much time overthinking it and just kind of doing it and not worrying about it yeah I and mean, it sounds like you did the right thing you took a small amount of money and you just 
built it as opposed to saying, okay, well, we're going to spend three months kind of putting together a business plan, and then we're going to go on a big circuit interviewing, you know, or meeting with investors and try and get a round of investment. And it might, things might just might have died off, you know, you just would have had no Which is slightly ironic because all the people that, that are on your list are probably not doing what you've done. They're probably not being <laughs> as kind of... Um, let's say, loose about it and just going with the moment and following the serendipity. And they're probably getting involved in lots of plans and stuff. Maybe. I mean, it is kind of, uh, you know, the Silicon Valley belief that, you know, you start something, you make this plan, you raise a whole bunch of VC money, and then, you know, you make this, you know, product, you launch it, and you get millions of users, and you figure out revenue later. And that is kind of the the classical story you see, you know, played over and over again. And I, I think it also, like, like people, you know, read these so many times, they start to think that, you know, they have to do it. When, you know, not all businesses need a million dollars of venture capital. Like, obviously, like we didn't, we didn't need any of that money. Um, some do. On the other hand, you know, if you're making a, you know, a green tech product or something physical, like, you know, you might need manufacturing. You might need working capital. Like, so, you know, it just depends, like, what industry and, like, you know, what you're really building. Yeah, I think that's a that's exactly right. Now, so you took this twenty five. Now, if you had, you but you raised more money after that, right? Um, we haven't yet. We we've been considering it. We make enough money to to stay um, um, to oh. stay afloat month after month. Um, but it just it would be nice to get kind of a, a large cash infusion to not have to worry about month to month revenues to really just grow the list for um, as long as you can and have all the focus on that. Because um, right now we are kind of split between kind of advertising and editorial. I have a question: is is it any part of your plan that maybe the list doesn't make you a millionaire, but potentially the platform of the list can help you launch some other product, which would? Um, possibly, yeah, maybe, yeah. We've we've had a lot of thoughts along those lines. Like on our site, we have a like we have a classified section. Like I said, we're just launching this kind of conference deals thing. We have. Um, we originally had kind of our own version of quote Google AdWords where people can buy little kind of ads on the right side of it. Um, we tried to get into, you know, um, we, we, we've tried a whole bunch of stuff around this. I still don't know if it'll, it'll eventually turn into to just the list, but right now at least like that's our main distribution channel for getting people to know about kind of what we're doing. Cool. So okay, here's the thing is kind of interesting though is that you know you said you only raised twenty five thousand. I mean that's not even really an angel round. <laughs> not really. No, that's I mean, seed. That's, that's, seed. that's not even seed. That's friends and family. You know, that's yeah, like that's like going to your brother and giving him a guilt trip until he writes you a check for twenty five. You know? <laughs> I mean that's nothing. So the fact that you got this far on twenty five, I mean that's essentially bootstrapped in San Francisco as well, which is kind of expensive. Yeah, yeah well, it's not cheap. It sounds like, you know, I've known some people live in San Francisco and you can live cheap. I mean, you can obviously live a very expensive lifestyle there, but it seems like there are plenty of people who are kind of living the bohemian lifestyle, you know, in like lower hate or the hate, you know, that kind of area. That's still kind of a cool area to live, but it doesn't cost a ton, especially if you have two or three roommates. Yeah. Right. I mean, you tell us. Yeah. Chris, I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I live in Palo Alto, not San Francisco. OK, right. Um, OK, right. But kind of same, same, similar area. Um, rent's a little expensive. It's like a thousand bucks a month here for each person. So three, we have uh, two other roommates, so three people in total, three thousand dollars a month. It's a little pricey. Um, yeah. Three thousand dollars like, for all three of you in aggregate. Yeah. So it's a thousand dollars a month of rent for you. Yeah, it's not a yeah. ton, but it, yeah, it's huh. a little pricey. 
Um, it's California. Uh, other than that, like the thing I like here is like people don't have a very like flashy lifestyle. So you know, I'm right now like in shorts and like uh, sandals and like a shirt that's probably like dirty. And like I could go walk outside and like you know I'm I totally fit in with everybody. I'm like well, everybody's you know, gonna ask you why you're so dressed up. They're like, what's <laughs> yeah? <laughs> that's that's is that from the book? Are you near Berkeley then? Uh, no, no. Palo Alto is, um, it's about 30 minutes south of San Francisco. So oh, okay. it's like right in the Stanford's in, in uh, Palo Alto. Okay. Where are you guys located? Well, um, we're both in Los Angeles. I'm in Glendale and Jason's in pa- Pasadena. Oh, no. I grew up in Torrance. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so Justin just moved to the LA area about a year ago. So that's why he doesn't know the geography so well. Oh, got it. Yeah. Because um, no, I always heard that Berkeley was the place where people walked around in like Birkenstocks and... Well, dude, and everybody kind of walks shorts. around and Pasadena that way, and every time we go out to lunch, you're like all dressed up in long pants and <laughs> long shirt, but not shirt. I'm it's English. Like nine, I can't help it. I, like mean, 95, I mean, Chris, it's like 95 degrees, and we're all in like <laughs> sandals and shorts and a t-shirt, and he shows up like, and I'm like, what? <laughs> why are you wearing in my morning In my here? morning dress suit. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Total not, not startup uh, dress. Like, Get some flip-flops. Come on. Chill out. <laughs> Okay, so here's, here's I think, an interesting question. Okay, so you got this mentor. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you got a mentor and who he is and how that's helped or or not in your situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Carson originally started um, Innovation Quest, that thing I helped out with in Cal Poly. So he was uh, uh, really, really early in Cisco when they were, like, really small. Um, He's kind of a, you know, older guy, been around the Valley for, you know, quite a long time. Um, and the only reason why I knew him is because I was doing all that stuff in, you know, in Cal Poly. He was the kind of the uh, the guy there that was kind of, you know, making everything happen kind of from the alumni side. So we just kind of worked together through that. And when I originally did this incubator, like me and him did it together. And he's the one who like did all the operations and make it made it continue and stuff like that. So he kind of knew, you know how I worked and who I was and you know so when I moved up here it wasn't too much of a stretch for me to say hey we're working on this new thing you know are you interested in it so when you said are you interested in it were you like did you just want to go out to grab a grab lunch with him and ask him his advice or were you actually looking for money at that point and asking him about if he'd be interested or if he'd help you raise money what was the context or the purpose of the yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. Previously, like, you know, it, it's really informal. Like, you know, we'd go out to coffee together, you know, lunch or something. We'd probably do that like once a month anyways. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, one time I kind of told him I was doing this. And then the next week, I, you know, we told him like, oh, hey, we got our first sale. And then after that, we're like, oh, we both quit our jobs. And then, you know, it's really natural to be like, hey, you know, we're thinking about raising, you know, just like a really small, like $25,000. Like, would you be interested? And, you know, he's like, you know, of course, just like bring something to me and like we could talk about it. So, you know, it, it was really natural and like, at least like from a lot of things I've seen around here, it kind of ends up being that way. It's really like who you know and the relationship you have. Like if I just went up to like some random stranger or some like VC who like I met from like a friend of a friend and I'm like, hey, please give me $25,000. It almost looks, it almost looks desperate. Like you need to know the people for a little while um, to even know if like you guys make a good fit and to see if they could even help you. Cause it's more about kind of getting the, the two way advice. I think that's I think that's really good point. Je- Jess and I have talked about this a couple times on the show, where about raising money, and I've I've raised money for three or four ventures in my life. I think I'd have to count them up, probably four at least. And every single time I raised money, I everybody said yes. I never I never 
had a no. It was like four for four, and it was the first conversation. And I think that is partially because I knew these people very well. They were friends of mine, and they knew what I was doing, and it was like an ongoing conversation. And so when I brought it up, and I, even sometimes, in fact, I didn't even bring it up. They, they asked if they could invest. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so in a sense, by putting yourself in a situation where you're in an uh, open dialogue about what you're working on and what you're doing and, and what, you, what your vision is, the people around you kind of, it's sort of an organic thing. And it's not just show up to someone's door and say, hey, can you give me some money, please? And I think, you know, you went up to Silicon Valley or, uh, you know, so you got yourself in the vicinity of, of, of people who are interested in this kind of stuff. And by getting out there also and doing this email list, I guess you, you vastly increase your network quickly, right? But yeah, conferences and um, stuff. So that yeah, helps. back to back to your point. I mean, you always hear like, oh yeah, you need to talk about your idea. Don't keep it, you know, secret. All that sort of stuff. Like that, that's a big reason why. You know, if you talk about it and you're excited and you're not like scared to share about it, like people, like people generally, at least I feel like, want to help. Whether that's by giving you money, helping out, telling somebody else about it. You know, maybe you know, working for you or like helping you out in like you know some way. Um, like if you don't ever talk about it, you don't tell people, you know, how are they ever going to know, you know, or offer help? And that's the only way you can do it. Just kind of by being open and, you know, not kind of being scared and trying to keep it closed. Hey, Chris. So, um, do you, do you mind if I, uh, ask a question, Jason? No, look, I got the floor. So. (laughs) 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 All right. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of aware of the time as well because we are get, we've passed the hour mark at this stage. But so, and I wanted to ask Chris something. Um, so this is we've got a pretty good idea of where you are now and, and what you're up to. What I'm interested to know is where where do you see yourself in ten years? What what does Chris McCann look like in ten years' time? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think in ten years. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, just, uh, we just talked about that. He didn't have a business plan for like next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Five yeah. years? <laughs> One year? G- <laughs> like g- next, give me, okay, how much can you give me? <laughs> Six um, months? <laughs> yeah, and the, like the whole focus now is, you know, like growing, the, like when I say grow the audience, it's like, you know, we're really helping people find out their community, get involved and in like, you know, really like learning what it is to be an entrepreneur in all the cities we cover from Houston to Tokyo to Berlin to Shanghai. Like we have a digest in every single one of those cities. So the point is to, to grow the list, to figure out some sort of um, like sustainable revenue generating thing we can do in the background outside of advertising is nice, but I'd really like to find something that uh, kind of like grows with the list and independent of like direct sales um, and, and take this uh, and eventually I'd like to eventually sell this to someday. It's probably some like bigger uh, media company or biggest co- conference company or something like that. And then uh, after that, I don't know, maybe do something else, maybe invest in the next generation. I'm pretty young, so I could probably do three or four of these startups. <laughs> well, probably do a lot more than that, yeah. I've got a revenue idea for you, for your list. And it's something that we constantly talk about on the show, and it's a constant problem, which is people have such a hard time meeting co-founders. Mm-hmm. And you have 55,000 people there. You could basically create a social network or something or some site that helped uh, co-founders, I don't know, date each other <laughs> and then meet each other and then charge some kind of subscription fee or something to that, like a co-founder dating site. 
Uh, yeah, we could. There's uh, there's a couple like things uh, that do that really well. It's uh, Founders Dating and also Startup Weekend. If you guys ever heard of them, um, they'd actually be pretty cool to to interview if you're looking for more people. Really interesting story. But um, like I mentioned on our site, we have a classified section. So it's a real simple classified things. You could post your needs or wants, uh, and all of it's broken down by categories. And one of the categories is um, co-founders. And I'm trying to see how many people have posted so far. I think 34 people have posted they wanted co-founders. Uh, and my favorite one is we actually had someone. Um, you always you always find that hey, I'm looking for a technical co-founder. I'm looking for a CTO. But my favorite co-founder post of all time was a technical person who built a pro uh, who built a product was looking for a business person to help him think through the marketing aspect of it. We had the other side, so right. it just kind of showed like the quality of people posting on our site. So you can go, and that's actually totally free. Um, the only thing we charge for is if you want to distribute your listing in any one of the cities. It's like it's either fifty or twenty-five bucks, depending on how big the issue is. Uh, but you could go on the site and you can kind of browse around and see uh, um, what else is out there. So, you know, of these events that you have, you know, what 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 is sort of the ratio of events that are sort of, you know, you have like a Python conference or Ruby conference versus sort of like you have these sort of angel forums. I think Jason Calacanis has been starting, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and Tech and TechCrunch Disrupt, which are more like raising money. And then you have like hackathons that are sponsored. I mean, what 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 are the, what is sort of the variety that you're seeing, and what's the proportion of of the kind of stuff that's popping up? Hmm, I don't know if we've measured this. All of this is like kind of tangential. Um, but obviously there's, so there's like, I like to categorize them. There's, there's small meetups, um, there's big conferences, there's like launch parties, uh, and investing stuff. And then there's just kind of social gatherings. Um, I'd say like, probably like, like the meetups are probably the most numerous out of anything. Meetups meaning, you know, small hackathons or like a workshop or smaller kind of less than 150 person gathering. Um, obviously there's a lot of like companies that have made a, like a whole business off of just conferences. So we've estimated there's probably around like three to 400 kind of tech-focused conferences um, that happen once a year. Um, the, the investing um, one you see kind of in major cities. So you see in you know London, New York, um, in Silicon Valley, some in LA. You don't see them as much in the, the smaller cities, probably just because there isn't as much of a investing community. Like you never see them in like the Philippines or you never see them in, uh, uh, or even in like in Paris, you don't really see them that often. Um, and then it, obviously there's some like the bigger, like kind of like demo ones or even the smaller like demo meetups, like SF New Tech and things like that. So it really it, it's, it's kind of like all over the board. Um, and the thing we try and do is we have a local person in each of the cities kind of picking out what excites them the most in their city. But we try and get kind of a wide kind of range of these things and not just do all like one type of event because those could get boring if you just go to all, you know, all just conferences or something like that. So are you are you going to be are you like one of these ultra networked guys like, you know, like in MySpace or tagged like social networks are you like your first friend is like the founder? So like everybody knows you, like your face is on everything. So you walk into these conferences, and <laughs> it's like you're like Mr. Network, Mr. Startup Digest. Kind of, I I didn't really like you know try and be it because but because like sure. my name is on the um my name is on the email, everybody kind of recognizes it. So they don't really right. recognize my face, but when they see my name, they're like, oh hey, you're from Startup Digest, and you know I I also try and like attend a lot of these events just so you know I know the quality, I know who they are, and like. 
I know the organizer kind of person and all that sort of stuff. So right. I, I, I guess I'm kind of like a, a network person, although like I'm not, I, I hate those like spammy like networker guys that like like to grow their network and like want to help you with their network and stuff like <laughs> right, that. Right. Like, I don't know if, you, if you're working on cool, like on something cool and I like it, like sure, like I'll introduce you to somebody or like, you know, I'll, I'll give you like my two cents or something like that. But, you know, like don't try and approach me with like some like spammy networking product or anything like that because I'm just not interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I think that's probably why there's a lot of the uh, sort of, I don't know, the feel from your product, which is that it's very genuine, right? It's very honest. It's like you said, you want the only people who can be curators are people who are entrepreneurs themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so there's nothing sort of cynical about anything you're doing. There's, everything is genuine and, um, uh, you know, uh, straight Which up. Which is so. kind of interesting because the the list building space is completely full of like, you know, just bad characters. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it, it, the whole affiliate, affiliate marketing thing and like getting people to join your list by giving away free products and all that kind of stuff. And you, you know, you, you've totally managed to bypass that and side, sidestep it. Yeah, and there's almost like a, like Ben Lear from Thrillist likes to say, there's almost like a, an email revolution going on. Like you see things like, like Daily Candy, Geek Meet, or uh, Chic Daily, there's uh, Thrillist, there's ours. Um, if you go to like Jason Batista's post, like that's where you found us on, on Hackers News. He kind of lists all of the, um, the, uh, the various email lists around. So there's people doing pretty interesting stuff with a very old technology. Well, I, you know, I, I think this is a great idea. I'm, 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 I've, uh, I'm going to register now. I think probably the vast majority of our listeners are going to, this is going to be right up their alley because if they hadn't heard of this, this is going to be something they're going to like because, you know, I think the, one of the reasons people listen to our podcast is that they like to think about and, you know, these kinds of ideas about whether it's technology or building a business or open source software or whatever. All this stuff is really interesting and really cool, and so they like to hear about it. But what's even more fun than hearing people talk about it is going and talking about it yourself with other people in person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think people are always looking for opportunities to meet um meet people, especially people nearby. And, the, and not only is it fun, but you can also, hey, find co-founders, find you know partners in crime for some open source project. And so I know a lot of our listeners will probably, I think you'll probably get a, you know, uh, some new listeners probably the next couple of days uh, after we post this anyway, because um, yeah, it's very cool. I'm going to sign up for myself. And Justin keep asking me when he moved to LA, he's like, oh, we got to get out. There's got to be stuff going on. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> What's going on? So now, now we're gonna know. So we have to start the LA, the, the uh, LA Startup Digest. Yeah, and in just, LA, there's a guy, uh, Matt Matt Sandler. He's the the curator there. He's working for uh, Citizen Net. I think he quit. And he's doing it his own thing now. Um, and his new thing is uh, chromatic, uh, kind of in the education music space, which is really cool. Um, but he's an awesome dude, uh, and he lives uh, in LA. Cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely sign up, and you know, hopefully, you know, Justin and I can get our uh, our butts out to a couple of these events. Um, so, Justin, you got any uh, any more questions? Well, I guess the only thing I'd say is, um, if you're a new listener to Texting and you have this is your first time listening to the show, uh, sign up to us uh, <laughs> in iTunes. Uh, give us give us a, a couple of listens and uh, see what you think. Um, what we've been talking about in this show is pretty much what we talk about as well on on uh, on the, the other shows. <laughs> so, yeah. Just, uh, oh, yeah, and if you're listening to the show and you're sitting at your computer, give us a tweet, give us a blog post, help us out, um, help us get this thing get this thing growing a little more. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I get a, I, I, it's like, Justin, I always have to remind myself to say that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so, then uh, CC me and I'll tweet it out to you. <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic. And, and go to the startupdigest.com and put in your email. Yeah. And uh, put in with the TechZine code for the special discount. <laughs> oh, no. oh, wait, everything's free, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. Chris, it was a real pleasure meeting you. We really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet you in person at one of these events. Yeah. And, yeah, anytime uh, you guys are in the Bay Area, let me know. We'll, we will. I think, I think it's time we make a pilgrimage to the Bay Area, isn't it, Justin? We can go in my Audi TT. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>